Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm very well. And you, Peter? Yeah, I'm really good. Really good. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this one. I think that there's loads of various different topics we can cover off and and touch upon. And yeah, I'm really intrigued by what you've been up to. But before we dive into the crux, let's start with who you are and what you do. I feed people. This is what I do. And by doing this, I manage to create spaces where people can share their food. I've always thought that Eating is very important. Food is the most important thing we have in our lives, not only for the the, the physical part of eating, obviously, but also for the implication on social impact, on climate change and everything. But most of all, a shared meal is what has always represented for me the value of our society. So what I do is I make sure that people share nutritious, healthy meals in a nice, cool environment, open to everyone. This is what I do. And uh, I come from, obviously, Italy, as you can imagine from my pronunciation and my accent, and most of all from my predisposition towards eating together. So I grew up in a family where the, the main point of contact for all of us was the kitchen. Every big decision was taken in the kitchen at 8 o'clock in the evening with all the family around the table and there was no way to escape from that. And it was a, There were beautiful moments and tough moments, obviously, as you can imagine, but it was always the center, the heart of our home. And we were discussing while eating amazingly good food prepared by my mother or my, by my grandmother. So when you grow up like this, then for you uh, sharing a meal and talking around the table with your friends is basically the center of your life. And it doesn't mean that you have to talk about food. You talk about everything else, but you talk about it while you're eating or drinking or sharing something with your family and friends. So that's where I come from. Amazing. And your background growing up, food's been a massive part of of your journey, but can you maybe walk through some of the inspiration that set you upon this pathway that you're on today? Yes. Let's say that my first inspiration was as probably from most of Italians, all the female part of my family, my mother, my grandmother, and they were always ready to organize for me, help me organize parties at home. And they would cook for, at the beginning, when I was young, 10 kids, then it was 20. Then when I reached 15, they were starting being 100. And when I was at the age of 16, 18, I was launching party of around 500 people. 
And the, the good point was that uh, they never said no to me. They would prepare food for 500 people. Because the idea, and it was very smart at, that, at the time, at the period, I was, I was born in 66, so you imagine in the 70s and 80s, uh, it was a beautiful moment for, for society, for development, etc. But it was also a, quite a tough moment in terms of drugs in Italy. And so my mother used to say, what, I prefer to have 500 of your friends here at home than not to know where you are. So they, they, she would prepare focaccine, panini for everyone. And my parties were always very famous for the fantastic food. So these were my two main inspirations, obviously, the two ladies in my family. Then, from the point of view of business, instead, my father, who used to be an entrepreneur, a very ethical entrepreneur, was my first uh, point of reference. And then along my studies, because I studied first economics, in, so I don't come from food, technically. Food is my life and my passion. But I'm not a chef, I'm not a cook. I didn't study gastronomy. I read everything I could possibly read, and I eat and drank so much all around, all along my life that I kind of... Uh, became quite an expert <laughs> by consuming things. and But I studied economics in Italy and Spain, and then I was lucky enough to win a very important scholarship uh, for my master in Japan. And that's where I, that's what really changed my life. I went to Japan when I was 27. For 18 months, I studied Japanese and Japanese management. And then I worked in Japanese companies. And when I was there, something clicked. I realized that... Uh, Food could have become also my life in terms of work. Uh, at the beginning, it was just restaurants. Everybody was calling me, where should I go to eat in New York, wherever I knew, every good restaurant around. And my nickname, Andrea, I know a good restaurant. Uh, they, they made fun of me and my friends. And because it was very important. But when I was in Japan, I realized that food was becoming something uh, relevant for our lives in terms of business and the ESG and the United Nations Sustainable Goals were not yet there. They were starting. But I felt it was very important to be relevant in the food in the food industry, obviously. And I started by creating food concepts in Japan. When I say food concepts it means that I started by helping Italian companies, British companies, European companies to develop their business in Japan. And I realized that it was a very limited scope of work because at the end they were just looking for an importer. But the contact with the final customer, the guest, is the most important thing to understand if your product is good for them, if it meets their anthropological needs, not only the, the taste and the fashion, because this is something that can last three months, six months, is really what they are used to eat, what is good for them to eat, and what can be part of their everyday diet. And, and I understood that it was not possible to do it through importers. So I started designing and creating shops, basically, not for the purpose of selling per se, so creating an EBITDA for the shop. It was more of a marketing tool to really understand and engage and tell the story of the product to the local guests. And by doing this, I opened... Uh, 20 square meter the first shop, then a little bit bigger, 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 bigger. And then I ended up with 15,000 square meter in Milano in 2015 for the expo, where I was given the chance to test all of my previously tried concepts into one during what I, what I called, and I, I'm not very famous, I'm not very welcome for this, the 
Junk Food Expo because that Expo in Milano, the two main sponsors were Coca-Cola and McDonald's. And so I decided I could not be part of it because that is not food. And I asked the government of Milano, the city council, to have a space outside of the Expo. And I managed to to get an abandoned warehouse with a parking lot near the Naviliera, which is the coolest area in Milano. It was abandoned. It was uh, the place where you used to go on a Saturday morning to buy the bicycles they, that they stole the night before to you. So it was really... And I opened in three months, one day before the opening of Expo. And uh, the concept was already clear for me. It was all based on small artisans, by, on local producers, organic or at least without using chemicals products and uh, without a single brand. I didn't want any industry because I don't think industry matches well with food. And I created this 15,000 square meter folly uh, with very little budget, zero budget for advertising, zero budget for marketing. And we made 2.5 million visitors in four months. It was a big success because it was authentic, Peter. It was real, authentic. That was something I wanted for myself, for all my friends, and I was very proud to being able to offer such food. And people felt it, and they started coming. And that's how I started, with Mercato Metropolitano. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a good indication of good brands create moments, but great brands create movements. And that movement towards togetherness, community, it's a, a lot of the parallels that we see today in the push for community is a big aspect. It's a big word. It's, a, it's, it's in respect to this kind of evolution that we see play out today. But just before we move on to like the whole sustainability and, and growth aspect, I'm intrigued as to what were the challenges and I guess also the strategies involved in scaling a business at that point in time? It's tough to say, Peter, because when you build something like this, you start building it because you really want to offer something that was not offered before. So I was not thinking of the scalability. I never think of the scalability, actually. I always think to create the best possible experience in that location. And, and then, as usual, when you don't focus on growth, when you don't focus on profit, when you don't focus on a very distant ambition, but you focus on what you do and you do it with all your effort and with all your energy, with all your heart, then things come because it's the law of attraction at the end of the day. So we became so famous without being aware of it, of it obviously, that when I came to London, I found other two or three locations. They offered it to me at a very good price. And in London, we did exactly the same. And we opened a place where, the, listen to the strategy. I had five different potential locations. I chose obviously the worst one, which was zero footfall, high delinquency rate, absolutely against every rule of opening a store or a food store in London 10 years ago, which was up above the river, not below the river. So not in this south area. All of my friends told me, don't do it. I saw this location, which was abandoned, full of stray dogs, junkies, no electricity, no water, no gas, for only one year of rent. And everybody told me, don't do it. It's a stupid idea. And I love stupid ideas when you really feel them in your heart. And I said, guys, I believe I have to do it. So we, I did it. I opened it in three months. And it was tough. When you talk about the difficulties of not having uh, heaters, 
and not having gas, not having wa- enough water. <laughs> it was very difficult. But what we offered was again exactly the same we were offering in Milano. So our heart, our hospitality in the true sense of hospitality. We were happy to offer incredibly good food, sustainable good food to the British guests. So little by little, they started WhatsApping each other, talking to each other, word of mouth. End of the first year, we did 9 million pounds of sales. I don't even know how, I tell you frankly. The year after, we did 15, and then 21. Exactly with with no strategy, no business plan, just giving the maximum we could in everything we were planning and activating. Then COVID hit us, but just before COVID arrived, Grosvenor asked us to have a a, a market like the one we had in Elephant and Castle, in an old abandoned church. And imagine me, a church, I'm Italian. For me, a church is scary because I know I've done something wrong, for sure. And when you enter a, a church, you have to bend a little bit and pray to, for, for forgiveness, even if you don't know why, you have done something wrong. So when they gave me that space, it took me two or three months to really analyze it and understand if I could do something without... Of, it, it was not a church anymore, you can imagine. It was uh, the consecrated in 73, so it was absolutely just a building. But all the images inside are still the one of Jesus. So for me, it was a little bit difficult. Then I realized at the end, I had this... Uh, dream at the end one night before I decided I said listen but what am I gonna do there I'm gonna share food bread and wine that was what my Jesus was doing so what am I doing wrong and I'm also engaging with the local community I'm giving free courses to kids uh, of everything from guitar everything and so I decided to open that room and then the mayor came with another location and he gave us a grant to open it so you see It's a development based on opportunities that are given to us because we are doing a good job. There's not a business plan in front of me. My financial directors are not very happy about it because it depends. It depends on what's happening. In this moment, after Brexit, COVID, and now a a war in Ukraine, the most important thing you have to have is flexibility, to be ready for change not to plan for 10 years. It's impossible now. You can try to define a kind of an idea of strategy, but then you need to be ready to change it every two days because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. It's And also what you're offering, It's it, you're offering an experience as well as a community. And when people are attracted to an experience, they're, they, they sense the authenticity behind that brand. And it's also important at this point in time to be different. Um, yeah. 100% with you that people can over plan for scenarios but the fact is the whole journey of growth it should be an iterative process so as you evolve as you grow you have a lot of introspection in respect to the whole world around you you reflect and you see what worked well what didn't and you you, you become a little bit more agile in, in your approach to work I think in that respect bearing in mind the old way of working versus what I think is more of the correct modern way of working. What would your advice be to business leaders today that may be a bit overly cautious in their planning process in respect to implementing positive change within communities? But first of all, there's a, there's a, a major factor here, Peter. You need to believe in what you're doing. If you do it for the money, I have no advice for you. I don't know what to tell you. 
If you do it because you believe in a movement, because you want to change something, in my case it's the food system and the impact of food into our lives in big cities in particular, then you are driven by something else. And then you put everything you know in it. And what I would suggest to people is do what you believe you like and you believe into. And if instead you do it just for the money, it's absolutely legal. I'm not saying it's not correct, but I have no advice for them because I would not be able to do it. This is not a job for me. This is my life. I enjoy it every single minute of it. Even if I'm super tired sometimes, I sleep three hours per night. But when I walk in my market and I see people talking to each other, engaging and drinking together without looking at this hostile sometimes tool that is the iPhone or the telephone, any mobile, when it's overused, not per se, obviously. And you see them smiling to each other, trying to to engage in conversation while you're there eating, then that this is the best reward you can have in your life. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's so refreshing because people's lives are so busy these days and just the ability to like slow down to speed up is, is an important thing. Like the ability to just acknowledge those around you and spend some time with your loved ones and enjoy the enjoy the present rather than plan too much for the future. Like the future's gotta come whatever, but it's just the ability to slow things down and, and enjoy the moment, I guess. And then tell me one thing, Peter, is it true that he's slowing down having dinner with your friend? Because what is the alternative? You stay home, you watch something on Netflix alone, you all order food from a guy driving a scooter under the rain, you live alone, you eat alone, you get fat alone, and you get depressed. Is your time well used in that case, or is it better to engage with other people? Because we are social animals, first of all. So this is something uh, I really think it's important for our society to get together again and use the, the, the technology as a tool, not as a, as a mean to achieve something, not as a final result, staying in front of your iPhone eating something alone. I think it's very sad. And I think everybody thinks it's sad. No, definitely. And we see it anyways, don't we, in respect to the US Surgeon General came out and was talking about epidemics of isolation and loneliness quite recently. And that's what you get if, you, if you've if you always focused internally and don't, don't see the world around you, then you, you miss moments. And I think that's one challenge in respect to epidemics of isolation, but obviously wider in respect to the hospitality industry. We're, we're seeing challenges from the cost of living crisis, the impacts of disruption of crises overseas and, and how that will play out, and also the disruption towards supply chains and the wider implications of climate change. I'm interested to understand from the work that you're doing, what, what like initiatives are you developing to address some of these challenges and turn them into opportunities? Absolutely. First of all, the first thing I, and I started like this, so it's not something I decided to engage into after Brexit, which was the biggest and the first of the stupidity I encountered in my last seven years. I like union. I like to get together. I don't like to disrupt this. So imagine it's not Brexit per se. It's just people who want to be alone. I think it's in a world like ours, it's just silly. And apart from this, this is my view on that. Uh, obviously, this created an amazing problem for us, which is not even COVID. Brexit is a real problem. I cannot hire a good chef anymore because they need a visa, like if I had to go to Japan. And students don't want to come to London anymore because it's not part of Europe and uh, UK people don't like uh, Europeans anymore. This is a feeling, you understand. It's not true, obviously, but it's 
is the feeling. London, fortunately, is the other side. London still wants uh, European Union, they want us, so we managed to develop a very good relation with London. And the problem was uh, the supply chain, obviously, as, as you might have seen and you might have realized. It was not organized at all. It was just a stupid idea from the start to the end, and still it is. And so basically everything costs more. And who's paying the inflation? The people are paying for their choice, and it's really stupid. There is such a poverty rate in the UK, which is unbelievable. Only in Southwark, we have 43% of poverty rate among children. Can you believe it in a country like UK? And they talk about being alone. I'm saying this, Peter, because I love London. Don't misunderstand me. I'm here in London. It's my second city after Milan. And so I, I say this with a deep pain in my heart, obviously. And I'm still here. And I'm still feeding some of the things we do. We feed kids from the local neighborhood, up to 500 kids every summer, with our own budget, because I don't ask money from anybody, because I think that uh, it's part of what we are. We are an enterprise, social enterprise. We need to give back as much as we can. And it's part of our investment in the health of kids and in their smiles, most of all. So we organize summer camps for six weeks every summer, then Christmas and Easter too, when the, clo when the school closes. And we offer them, uh, again, as you said before previously, not just food. This is degrading in a certain way to kids. You offer them an experience. They come, they learn to cook, to play football, to skateboard, to boxing, and whatever. And then we ask them, stay here and eat with us. And they stay for six weeks, more than 500 kids. And we do it because it's beautiful. And if you don't invest in these kids, where are you going to invest? They are our future. We need to do something for them to make them believe that there is good in this world and, and not only difficulties. It's so bad. This moment is really tough. And I, I think we should protect our kids and to show them that love, mercy, passion and compassionate aptitude is still the winning one. That's what I believe. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that some of the decisions that we've led to this point at, the, at this point in time is very short-termist. It's driven from a very different narrative to what I guess like you and I, and I are used to in respect to a values-based society and one built on principles and built hope and optimism and and a, and a viewpoint of the future. We see it today. Like it's it's crazy what's happening in the UK and it's it, it's kind of a reflection of America not too many moons ago. And uh, it doesn't have to be this way. Like it, there's no point diving into the depths of the narratives that wants to divide people. For me, it's about showing optimism and showing the world what's possible. And when you can bring people together, be it around a table or just in a conversation and able to galvanize movements for change. And that's that's the positive aspect that I see today. Like I feel and I, I look around the UK and I'm like, it's changing and it's changing because we've had that pain. We're reflecting and we're ready to progress. And it's um, like it's got to be interesting in the next couple of months. And, and uh, we've got a general election probably in the next six months. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I just read about a return of an old guy came back as foreign of as a minister of interior affairs who we thought uh, disappeared from the political sign uh, the, the political scene is, is back now in london too so what i'm a little bit disappointed is that i see in london uh, in uk what i've been experiencing in italy for the last 40 years but that's why i'm in london 
Because in, in Italy, our political problems are very common and it's normal. We changed, I don't know, many governments in the last 10 years. And I always believed the UK was a much more kind of mature democracy and more. And then it's absolutely worse than any other country now. But USA is the same. I don't think it's a problem of UK. It's a problem of our political, the political parties all over the world. I think it's very depressing. The level of their ethical and moral level of thinking is incredibly low. And I'm, I'm embarrassed by this. Yeah, I think it is an evident challenge throughout the world. We see when people, when you segregate people and people go into their little isolated worlds, then it's very easy to drive in things like pseudo-populism, polarization, post-truth. But then the opposite to that is when you do initiatives like yourself and draw people together, bring, show them the, the power of community, then like things will change. And, and I do feel optimistic in respect to the future because sometimes you need to you need to go through periods of challenge to really get to... Periods of progress. I'm, I'm very optimistic, Peter. I tell you frankly, I don't think people have changed that much. They are now obviously facing different times from, as you said, our time. But at, at the end of the day, they live in their moment and they will find their way to adapt. Maybe we are a little bit, I'm, I'm old in that case, so for me it's more difficult. But at the end of the day, if you really think about this and you focus on what is important to everyone, is to have three meals per day. Three meals per day is what makes people be happy, healthy, and smarter, and create also social life. So at the end of the day, people need the same things, maybe in different ways, but they still need it. And, and we are the proof of this. In this technological world where mental illness is the issue and people don't want to work, want work from home, etc., 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 we are growing 20% year on year. People come, enjoy, the food is amazing, the price is right, because don't forget, we work, I work for the United, I work, I work for, the, for the development goal, so it means that food needs to be accessible. So our prices are incredibly low in comparison to the quality we give. And then there is the sense of, and we come back to the other aspect you were asking before, to the localization. The, the, the meaning of the right to food, which was explained in the covenants after the human declaration of the Declaration of Human Rights, explained very carefully and very precisely what uh, food, adequate food meant. And it meant accessible food, nutritious food, and food compatible with local cultures. If you do not have these three pillars, then it cannot be considered food. It's something that is, is a commodity sold for other purposes. So the fact that we try to localize it as much as we could also helped me, for instance, in Brexit. You see that this is also a part of our project. We are not an Italian market which goes around the world selling Italian food. Because I don't believe in this, I don't like it, and I don't think it's even smart. What we are is a community hub, sustainable community hub, that finds a location in every city, possibly in every capital of the world, and integrates with the local community, with the local farmer, with the local stakeholders, and create a unique offer for the guests of that area. So we have, of course, some Italians because they live here, and we know that Italian food is the most eaten in the world, is the most appreciated, because it's easy, it's natural. You give a pizza, unless you have uh, some, some medical problems, <laughs> some... Uh, uh, celiac problem, everybody loves pizza. If you are six or you are 85. Uh, pasta, it's very easy, simple. And then now you have the ramen also, the Japanese one, which is v booming a lot. So if you put all of the 
best possible kitchens that you find in London for this is magnificent. We have the best food now in the world. If I think when I came here in the 80s, it was tough for an Italian to be in London. You had fantastic fish and chips, fantastic pies, but that was it. The diversity of the food was very limited. And now you come to London, you eat the best Lebanese, the best Irish, the best Israeli, the best Syrian, the best Italian. So we just put all of them together and then we give spaces, not to the big names, but to the new talents, the people who are trying to become entrepreneurs. And in particular, we have a campaign called the Dream Campaign to, again, give hope to people. And we tell them online, send us your idea. And we started this during COVID because it was so depressing. I needed to do something positive, strongly positive. And they started sending us pitches of their ideas of food and non-food, eh? not only food. And then we opened some of these concepts when we reopened. And we had a special drink campaign only for female food founders, one from refugees and one from new talents. And now we have a drink campaign every, every time we open a new market so that we can find local talents who can engage with us. So you see, it's always, as you said correctly, to give hope and a positive, a positive message to everyone because at the end of the day, we sit around the table, we together, we are already luckier than probably 70% of the population around the world. So let's focus on this and try to impact as much as we can, at least around us. Be gentle and kind with the people around us. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't know how to help Africa, fine. Help the people around you. Start by contaminating the circle of people around you. Be kind with your sister, brother, mother, friends, and help them. And then it will spread. That's what I hope. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, definitely. So that concept of start small to grow big. And if you do start out, I think sometimes the world's most pressing problems just see, seem a little bit astronomical in respect to size and grandeur and how how it would take to to cut those down but yeah you, you start small to grow big you make those local impacts and grow nationally then grow internationally and then grow um global partnerships and and it's a slow gradual process but it's that whole commitment thing like there's often that analogy in respect to people overestimate what they can achieve in one year and under, underestimate what they can achieve in 10. If you're willing to go on that journey and willing to like embrace change then there's loads of opportunities ahead and back to what you were saying about going into certain areas and very much localizing uh, your experience like that's the beauty of diversity when you said before about um it's it comes from the heart like when people are able to articulate and share and cook some of their meals that they grew up with it brings it brings a new flavor to the whole experience and i think that that's that's a wonderful thing i have heard you talk previously about how you mentioned that food will define our future so I'd, yeah, I want to kind of touch upon that because I remember that being quite interesting. Listen, I believe that the future is in the hands of the small people, the small entrepreneurs, the small farmers. I don't believe in the industry because, simply because I see the data. After 70 years of green revolution with the promise of feeding everyone, the number of people who go unfed is, is still growing. So it's obvious that it's not working. And on the other hand, that's not only the case. On the other hand, we have created the worst ever moment for cardiovascular diseases and death for cardiovascular diseases. So imagine we have this uh, incredible dichotomy, dichotomy, sorry, of having people starving and people obese. Almost, in, <laughs> I'm not saying the same number, but very near, which is crazy. It's obvious that this is not working. So I believe that the Green Revolution was started with a good with a good sense after the Second World War, and it turned into a machine of death and chemicals in our food, glyphosate, and all of these are now being studied. And now we realize that Alzheimer, depression, cancer is connected to these chemicals. And now we've just seen that small children already have them in their food because they get it from the milk and then the brain do not develop enough. So it's very easy from my point of view. Let's go back to food as it was meant to be. Food without chemicals, possible plant as much as you can, but include everything in your diet. I strongly believe, I'm an omnivore, I'm Italian. So I believe that you should eat a little bit of everything in the right quantity and which is sourced in the right way. So if you want to eat meat, it needs to come from a selected grower of grass-fed cow, for instance. But just eat less of it. You don't need meat every day. You need meat maybe once per week, and that's good. And eat it as a side dish. Eat more parsley, eat more pasta, eat more vegetables. Obviously, being Italian, it's easier because we have such a, we have possibly the country with the biggest biodiversity of vegetables and cheeses in the world. But I think that you can find them in every country uh, if you dive deep into the culture of that country. So, my suggestion would be to go back to regenerative agriculture, 
organic agriculture when it's possible, avoid industrial food, and in, avoid supermarkets as much as you can, and uh, try to eat food where they do not also sell fuel, because it's not compatible. And if you read, I'm quoting in this sense, some of the fellows in America who are studying now, because you know that in America, it's always very strange. America started with the Green Revolution and basically ruined the world. But in America also, there is a contra, the anti-revolution, and they are now developing the new concept of food because they are the country of the extreme. So some of the best ideas, Poland is coming from USA. It doesn't mean that they're eating well. I'm just saying that there is a new wave of thinking to go back to regenerative agriculture for various reasons. Of course, climate change. If you have an healthy soil, an healthy soil sequestrate is the biggest sequestrator of carbon dioxide per se. But if you have a soil which has got only two centimeters of lively soil because you feed the plants with antibiotics and pesticides, etc., and additives, etc., etc., then your soil is, uh, does not absorb the carbon dioxide and actually reflects the sun rays because it's very white and thick and it contributes to worsening the climate. And uh, in addition to this, an apple which grows on such soil is not going to be an apple grown by a farmer who knows the soil. So we are losing the knowledge of the people who are in contact with soil. And uh, this, uh, the, third, uh, uh, the third bad outcome is that you're delivering an apple or a fruit to a kid, a fruit which is full of chemicals. So you are impacting their health and their capacity to grow in an healthy way. So imagine how food is important for all of us. So you need to understand that food is all of this and more, it's a social enabler. So I realized in my life that when I put together around the table, friends from a Muslim country, Indian country, Japanese country, whatever, and they have different aptitudes toward food for religious reasons, for health reasons, whatever. And you know how to prepare a food which is good for everyone or differentiate it for all of the people, everybody's happy. Around the table, everybody's happy. So Mercato was born also because imagine, you and your friends, you have a group of friends, 10 of you. One is celiac, one is allergic to shrimp, the other one doesn't eat cow, doesn't eat pig, doesn't drink alcohol, whatever. One is vegan, the other one is vegetarian. And you want to go out all together, where do you go? You go to Mercato. Because everybody go, take what they want, and sit at the same table, and still talk to each other, without fighting over anything. So food is also a mean of peace and talk, if, if you don't judge the others. And I think to be tolerant is a very important aspect of what we give in our markets. Tolerance is in, very important in these moments. Yeah, definitely. And I think also from a, a case point, if we were to look at you know, countries and regions of the world that have traditionally thrived, it's, it's largely because of heavy community base. It's heavy driven through localization. So one example being Okinawa, when, you know, that's, it's got one of the highest, or it did have one of the highest populations of centenarians in the world. However, with the rise of industrialized food, that we see through 
well-known brands that I won't, I won't name, that's actually started, as that started to influx within that region, it started to reduce the life expectancy. They're starting to see heightening levels of obesity and cancers. And it's, it's quite simple. Like the, the argument is not necessarily just about healthy eating, but it's longevity. If you really want to have a, a long and healthy life, then it comes with a balanced diet. And I think in order for this broken food system to really have more of an active role in the wider global change that, that we see take place today, it's it's ultimately about, I guess like the question is, what can politicians and business leaders do to grasp the scope of our broken system? Well, I have, I have a suggestion they should just leave. Because they have no idea, they have no interest in the health of people. They're they're only interested in getting votes, and it's uh, it's embarrassing and depressing. As you said, Okinawa, one of the blue zone of the world. Another one is uh, Sardinia. So where you have some, another one is in Greece, etc. Where you have a direct contact with uh, agriculture, with fishery, and the people live uh, of what they grow, basically. Uh, in a beautiful environment which is not contaminated by pollution, they live longer. Longevity is a very important aspect, which is directly connected with uh, cardiovascular diseases and even more. So there is now, it's a clear direct connection between what you eat and your health and how long you live. There are other aspects, of course, but food is the main medicine. We forgot about it. We are treating food as a commodity. You buy a snack because you are hungry. It's not. Snack is just bad for you. It's bad fuel for your body. So you should really think that food is the base of your DNA. It becomes part. What you eat becomes part of you. It's not a T-shirt that you put on and you take off in the evening. It becomes part of who you are. And little by little, if you contaminate your body with, for instance, white flour bread in supermarkets for 30 years, then of course you become weak. And it's not that is, you know that the Lancet report, which came out I think three years ago, said that now more people die because of food than because of smoke. And, and I was very curious about this, so I read it through, and it came out that they die mostly for what they do not eat anymore. Not for the junk food, which is terrible, but the problem is that even the junk food, what... It's inside that food. It's not nutritious. It doesn't make you stronger. It's just to fill your stomach and fill the pockets of the industry. But it doesn't give you strength. Food needs to make you stronger and smarter. And then, because we are social people, we also like the taste of it, which makes us happy. So there are three levels of engagement with food, and they are all important for us. That's the solution. Definitely. And we're seeing it today. There is very much a, a revolution taking place in respect to how, I guess, like just challenging the old school of thought. So, yeah, I'd love to walk through some of the insights that you have in respect to the, the work that you guys are doing to drive this revolution and how, I guess, also the the relationship with vendors and the sharing of costs and all the finite detail, how, how that's playing out in respect to a positive impact upon society. It is also important because, again, when we talk about food, when I came here to London the first time, I remember people were talking to me about rent. And I said, how can you 
I can you ask for rent if you don't know what I'm doing? I understand an apartment. I got an apartment and this is the rent. If you want it, you take it. If you don't want it, you don't take it. But if I'm selling aubergines, how can you charge me as much as a guy who's selling jewels? So I started discussing with the landlord saying, guys, if you want, we create a business plan. We share it with you. We show you how much we can pay if we reach these sales. And they pay you a percentage on my sales. With, of course, maybe a base, which gives you a little bit of guarantee. But then if you want the base, I'm going to have a roof. If I make more money, you don't get them. So it's up to you. And I started discussing this with the landlord, and some of them believed in it, and that's why I started. So I paid the landlord a percentage of my sales, and uh, now they're making more money than they expected because we're doing very well. But I'm happy because it's always a percentage of what I'm doing. So I know it's uh, sustainable for me financially. On the other hand, I asked to my people, the, the, the trading partners, the TP we call them, to share with me their, uh, their sales. So every till, everything they do is owned by me because we control the tills. We help them manage the money because some of them are really at the beginning, so they don't know what, how much the tax is. Sometimes they don't know that the, the business rate exists. Uh, they don't know a lot of things. So we help them. And they pay us a percentage on the sales. If they are not doing well, we are not doing well. So we are really forced to help them drive their sales. So that's why we have teams that are on the commun- only on community development, only on sustainable development. And then we have the sales, the marketing, the chefs, the operation, who will help our trading partners thrive. Because if they thrive, I thrive, and the landlord is happy. Three people, three groups, three stakeholders happy. If only one is happy, the other two are not, it's not a sustainable business. That's what I keep on telling to each of my stakeholders. Yeah, definitely. It's it's about collaboration and this this kind of community orientated food. I'd love to just dive into a little bit more in respect to the efforts you're making towards, I guess, like food and social inclusiveness and your overarching dedication to community and social impact. Yes, what as I told you, what we created was this dream campaign. So we engage with local talents. I call them talents or wannabe entrepreneurs, cooks, or creative people, and we want them to come to engage with our guests. We have an amazing number of guests every year. We we have more than five, six million people coming through our doors only in one market, and we organize with them, with some of them, for instance, the refugees, period of time in which they don't pay anything. We incubate them, basically. We help them to develop their recipes, their food, their capacity to sell the food, to manage the stocks, etc. And for the first three months, they don't pay rent, they don't pay anything. It's all on us. And But in that way, we help them understand the business. Some of them will succeed. We have one guy from Uzbekistan. Now he has seven stores around London and he started with us. I'm so happy about this. And we have, uh, we had uh, for a period, because we were cooperating also with uh, um, the city council, how do you say, city council group of people and, uh, and charities to help, for instance, last time to wonderful guys, a husband and wife from the Himalayan mountains who were homeless there, homeless in London. Turn taught them how to cook. Turn is a, 
is a is a the mayor in the mayor's office. It's a very important charity to train people, and we give them one month, uh, sorry, three months of free period to test it. And the beauty of it that they now are opening outside. They now have three kids. We men we help them create a family. So you see, food is a vehicle, is a mean to tell your story, first of all, if you come from another country, and the people who live in London can understand another culture by eating their food and engaging with these people, listen to their stories. It's beautiful for both parts. It's beautiful for the people living in London. It's beautiful for the people who are trying to become part of this society because they can tell their stories. And for us, it's beautiful because I can offer the biggest diversity of food, which is made with art not with only uh, techni techniques. It's made by people who believe in what they do. So there are some of them, Peter, that will never reach the minimum sales they need for them to stay. But they are such beautiful people, and they are always happy when they work, and they are feeding their families, that I don't care. I subsidize this maybe with the wine corner, which is selling more wine. So you see, we are not here for the purpose of making the maximum profit because this is so stupid we want to we are here to make the maximum number of smiles and guess what if you concentrate on that also your sales go well and your profit are better than the others but then you reinvest them to feed more kids so it's how you use the money that is important not if you make or not money yeah, definitely and it's that drive for impact i guess like it's the ability to impact people's lives and when you're able to kind of share that positivity and share that kind of community and share that experience then yeah like it, it has that um radiator effect that it just emanates upon upon others and um, impacts upon a wider group of society and that's how positive movements start it starts from within and emanates out and that's that's the beauty of what you're doing. I guess like one of the things I want to touch on in in respect to sustainability is yeah, like how do you go about incorporating within both your core values and I guess also your operations, ESGs and what that means to you in a wider context? Peter, I, I believe strongly that uh, a company without an ESG strategy is not going to exist in the next five to ten years. There is not is not uh, something you have you 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 might do. I think it's absolutely mandatory. So before ESG became an issue, I was already applying uh, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals from the first social impact report that we wrote in 2016. It was clear to us that uh, that was our purpose. So to put the people at the center and then the planet immediately afterwards and then all the rest. And if you start up your company like this and you believe that 50% of my business is based on this, then you don't even have to discuss about this. So in the, in the line, how I integrated it, first of all, I'm the only food, sustainable food market in the world who has a certification of ESG, for real, not just talking about becoming in 2030. We already are there. Second, in my organization, my CFO sits next to my chief sustainable officer and chief community officer. It's not that they depend or they are below. They are the same level. They have the same importance. If I do not have a good community strategy or community activities, it will impact directly on our sales in addition to our values, obviously. So it's not only a matter of 
of being good. It's actually much more efficient and much more, how do you say, it optimizes your sales also when you have such a strategy. So it's not a matter of believing it or not. If you don't believe in it, you will be out of this business of the world of industry in the next 10 years because this is the way to go and we're just at the beginning. And actually it's better. Everybody in, my, in the trading partners, they realize that inside Mercato they make much more money because people come and they're happy. And so everybody's complying with what we ask them to comply with. It's not so difficult. Yeah, definitely. It's people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And if you've, if you've got more of a clear purpose and it's not something that's like sticks on a wall or a little CSR exercise that's a report, it's, it's actually the very lifeblood of your organization, what you stand for and represent. And when you're able to articulate that to both the people that work within your internal cultures to wider the communities that you serve, then yeah, that movement for change, like people naturally gravitate towards people that stand for something more than profit profit's just a byproduct of purpose and it's a byproduct it's needed because you have to pay as we pay the london salary wage the minimum the london wage for instance so that's also an important factor we need to make enough money to pay our people the the right amount of money to be to live in london if not you, you are an hypocrite because if you want to create community and you don't start with the people working with, with you, it's, it's, it's not fair. So we need the profit, but it's how you use it, obviously, that is important. So sustainability, it's, it's, uh, it's obviously you can be strong in one side or the other of the SG. So we are very strong in social, obviously. Governance, we are getting there. In environment... Well, sometimes it's difficult for us because we recover abandoned building where the heating is absolutely a nightmare. So maybe we are not strong there. But on the other hand, we are recovering old buildings. We are not rebuilding. So the cost of, of keeping a space is incredible for the community. It's, it's, it's very cheap. So you have to understand where you want to position yourself, how you want to behave. And again, how do you want to treat the people next to you? Because if you want to give them food that you would not eat just for the sake of profit, you should be ashamed of yourself. Everything we serve here, I eat it and I love it. Look, looking at like the future, what's the, what's the wider mission and how, how do you think that you can continue to drive positive change within not just the food industry, but like wider society? We, we mentioned earlier on about some of the challenges that we face, but equally this, like, this change movement, movement that you're on, how do you think that that can continue to emanate positivity and continue to emanate positive change within the world that we, that we inhabit today? So the only way is by keep on doing what we do and being who we are and not letting us be contaminated by uh, new developments or growth. I don't like this word very much. I like the word development more than growth. So now we are expanding because I receive on a weekly basis probably 10 to 15 requests from city mayors, landlords all around the world. I just came back from Japan. Who want to do something similar to Mercato, similar to our movement, uh, and they need us because we are the only one who truly comply with this uh, ESG. The others talk about it and then they sell junk food or drinks which are not healthy. We just don't. It's very simple. We don't allow plastic, etc. Et we don't write a lot about it in our markets. Actually, it's the opposite. 
When I see someone writing, ooh, quality food, then I'm afraid. Why do you have to write about it? You're hiding something. It's like when you go to a supermarket and you read healthy, healthy food in three uh, linear meters. And you wonder then, okay, then the 97% of the rest is not healthy. So the fact of trying to put a label is because they need to greenwash or hide the reality. So we don't write a lot. And people come, taste our food, enjoy our experience, and then they call us to open outside. And even in this case, my, my idea of expansion is based on the people I meet in each country. If I meet people who believe in the same values, then I'm happy to do it with them. I'm not going to go there colonizing me with one brand. This, I think, is so much 80s and nobody wants a chain anymore. We need to create every time, anthropologically, a market which is within the premises and within the community of each single city. And you need to find people who align with your values and want to do it and run it. I cannot go around and run markets for the others. We need to grow them with other people who are local. So this is how we are developing and we have more than 20 concepts around the world in development, but not because we do them, not because we make money out of doing it or we want majority of this, all this nonsense. It's because we find people who believe in the same movement. And that's how we expand the movement, by partnering up with other people like you. Yeah, like looking at the UK, for example, we talked at the beginning about some of the challenges that we see from an economic stance. Um, debt as a percentage of GDP is like touching upon 100%, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, there's been zero growth in, in Q3. There's, you know, like the cost of living crisis is on the increase. And the, the challenge, knowing this, having lived in the South and grown up in the North, there is also that issue of the North-South divide. And I think Bearing in mind what you do and the ability to go to certain areas within the world and kind of drive local community-driven projects that have far-reaching impacts. Like I would love to see you up in the north and just kind of doing something in a in an area like if you look at Cumbria, for example, in respect to local resources, there's amazing food and, and resources up there, but the the opportunity I don't really think there is. So there's a lot of people out of work there as well. So the ability to provide positive impact there and like I'm in Newcastle at the moment. And if you go about 10 minutes down the road, I'm at, I'm at the sea and you've got amazing, like, I think it's the North Shields fish key, which is just like amazing um, fish at the beginning of the day. And yeah, like there's some awesome businesses and it's just about bringing amazing people together and sharing that kind of movement journey with with one another because yeah we can all achieve great things alone but we can achieve greatness together and, and that's what i believe in yeah I, I believe peter that i can go very fast alone but i don't go far to go far you need to go together that's what i believe i could talk to you all day it's been really enjoyable i just wanted to close out with come and have a, come and have a drink here when you are around yeah, no, I, I will take you up on that. Yeah, I just wanted to finish up with key thoughts and takeaways. Obviously, we've touched upon a lot of things, but what would your last message be to our audience in respect to something that they would take forward in their own lives? We need each other. We need to go back to being social, tolerant. So try to engage with people and uh, try to be respectful towards everyone, towards the food you eat and the people who grow your food. Be respectful, 
and be grateful for what you have is really very important. Stop complaining. The future can be very positive. Don't forget it. We can create our own future. And I hope that more and more people become ambassador of this thinking, way of thinking. We start with food, and we then, as you said before, we try to impact fashion, furniture, sustainably. All of this aspect, we need to create a revolution in our economy, a much better social economy, regenerative social economy for communities. And this is just the start. We've just started. This is the first step. Amazing. It's been an absolute pleasure and yeah, um, look forward to following the journey as it evolves. Thank you very much, Peter. It's been a pleasure and looking forward to seeing you here. Sounds good. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.